Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show, New Zealand's aviation podcast series. If you have not already done so, please check out our extensive archive of past shows, either on the Wings Over Cambridge website or on iTunes. Please rate the show on iTunes and leave a review there. And please like our Facebook page. You can find us at www.facebook.com slash show. That's W-O-N-Z-S-H-O-W. You can rate and review the shows there on Facebook, or you can go to the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, where there's a whole little section just for the show. This episode is part of the Wings Over Australia sub-series. The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from WarbirdRadio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening. I hope to hear from you sometime at WarbirdRadio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plane Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at planecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi Warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. Extended, the ETOPS Aviation Podcast. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. Extended. I remember some men started prying and others started crying um, partway through it. One guy got to his feet and started to run. I was scared and let that be no secret. Next thing they set the spando up there and they opened up. And there's bloody trees, bits of trees flying. And... New Zealand tanks were over the other river and one of our men said to them, he said, don't start your tanks up. For five minutes, we'll be out of it. Well, some silly bugger started his tank and the Germans put over a shell and right in the middle of the bridge. It was a bitterly cold morning and I was crouched down in this damn hole and it took me two days before I could stand up straight again. Here are the stories of New Zealanders in the Italian campaign in World War II. The Courage and Valor podcast. www.newzealandersatwar.com The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC-3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC-3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. 
Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Sorry, we don't have any power on it, just makes so much noise if we put the power on. Oh, that's fine. This airplane's modded a lot different than the other airplanes were. Those flat screens are uh, the ones on either side of the pilot on the outside are, are uh, attitude indicators and compasses. Yep. And then we also feed radar data there. We also feed TCAS, which is collision avoidance systems and everything, onto those screens. And then we have a moving map there just next to the captain's other screen. We got these large FMSs up here on either side of the co-pilot's and captain's knees, and it gives us worldwide navigation capability. Laser ring gyros, uses laser ring gyros, uh, GPS, VORs, and DMEs to fix its position on the Earth. Okay. And takes all that information in, comes up with a I'm here signal, and uh, you can go anywhere in the world in any kind of weather with it. Works really well. Wow. Well, just uh, for the podcast, I'm standing in the cockpit of the Hercules Thor, is it? That's yes, Thor. And uh, you are? Tim Martin. From Coulson? Coulson. Yeah. And you're over here for the fire season, obviously. That's correct. Tell me about the, the whole fire season and why you know, you, you're out here from... We're normally based in Richmond, and they have a really high fire danger here this weekend, and Richmond is still fairly wet from some recent rains, so they thought the asset would be better sitting here. Uh, in case something comes up, we can really get in and knock things down really quick with this airplane. Right. Uh, takes us about 15, eh, 10 to 15 minutes to load retardant here, and uh, turnaround times block to block is sometimes 20 minutes. We'll be back in the air, back on the fire, depending on how far away it is, and... And, uh, and really drop a lot of product on the on the fire with this thing. <laughs> okay. And then we have a, a what they call an XRAD system. That's these boxes here. That's our fire our drop control. It's all computer controlled um, with uh, coverage levels and percent of tank that we drop. We use the big red button there to this one right here is our drop button. Yep. And if we go a coverage level two all gives us about a kilometer's worth of uh, of retardant on the ground. Okay. And then you can vary that. The two would be like for grass type fires and then goes all the way up to eight. And uh, the tank is in percent. If you go all, you push the button until you let it go, it's going to drop and at that coverage level. And then you can save some to make, you know, numerous drops in the same, with the same load of retardant, depending on what you're doing. Okay. Really, really very accurate system. It uses those, those computer controlled doors. As the weight gets lighter in the tank, the doors... Uh, open just a little bit more because there's not as much pressure pushing it out, so you have a very even coverage, and that's what the big, the big deal is with that computer control system. Right. right. So, what sort of heights are you flying when you when you're dropping? 200 feet above the ground normally, and about 120 knots, between 150 and 200 feet. It gives us the best. What you want is you want to have instead of retardant coming out and still moving forward when it hits the ground, you want it to come down like rain, so it comes straight down. Otherwise, if you're like fighting fires and there's trees there, you coat one side of the tree because the retardant's moving this direction. The other side of the tree is unprotected. So if it comes down like rain, it gives a very nice even coverage, which is what you're looking for. All right, all right that makes sense. Yeah. So 
this season, uh, you haven't actually started fighting fires yet? Yeah, we fought a few fires here in Australia. Then Australia lend us out, or loaned us out to Indonesia. They had some real bad fires up on the island of Sumatra. We went up there for about a week and, and uh, did what we could. There was couple hundred fires there or better <laughs> I mean you could break out to where you could see and and you could not see a place where there wasn't a fire I uh-huh. mean it was it was incredible we we worked pretty hard while we were there we did a lot of drops um, we made some did some good but I mean there were just so many fires that that they needed a heavy rain I mean not much I mean we helped out but we were trying to protect equipment and, and residences and people and only so much you can do. Especially when you're only dropping water. Yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't let us drop retardant or gel there at all. Okay. So it's what they call a direct, so you're actually going pretty much right after the flames trying to cool it down or knock them off. Or, but it was so much there that we could have... We'll call it a target-rich environment. Yes, it was a target-rich <laughs> environment. So how many crew do you have on the aircraft? Just one. Just oh, one. you mean there's three of us here. Three of fighting crew, fires. Yeah. yeah. Captain, co-pilot, and flight engineer. Okay. Sorry, uh, what was your name? Rick. Ricky Rao. All right. Mm. Edit w- that w- out. Wings over, yeah, 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 true. <laughs> Wings over New Zealand show. Oh, uh, excellent. I'm uh, from New Zealand, so. And uh, James Cotley, co-host in Wings Over Australia here. Um, I've just dragged Ricky Rao up to the cockpit as well. We've been chatting because uh, Ricky and I met uh, in the other shorter Hercules last year when uh, that was brought over to Victoria. Uh, we're having two of your wonderful Hercs out here in Australia, one in Victoria and one in New South Wales. And going back to what you were just saying and moving on from Indonesia, where I live in Victoria, we had you guys pop down for a quick drop um, over um, the Cobol f- uh, fire uh, about a month or so ago. Time yep. whizzes by, and uh, you were very, uh, very much appreciated there. Um, so I've seen them from from both directions, uh, which is which is great. But uh, Ricky's got some great stories. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> None that are fit for public broadcast. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> some of the differences between this airplane and the uh, the actual C-130 we had in Avalon last year, which will be back uh, early December this year. Right. Um, tanker th- or bomber 390 is actually a C-130Q. Now this aircraft is an L-382, um, which means it's a civilian version. Um, it's capable of hauling passengers and cargo for hire as well as firefighting. Uh, Bomber 390 is strictly a fire bomber. Right. Okay. Yeah, for those that are not familiar, the the, uh, the Hercules, I hope everybody listening knows about the Hercules, because if you don't, you need to. One of the truly great aircraft in aviation history, and uh, they're working all the time. Is Hercules working right now somewhere in the world in scary places and stuff? But uh, the, re- the civil models are pretty rare. There's not a huge number of those around. Uh, obviously, both of these are civil operated now, but the C-130Q is... Basically, correct me if I'm wrong here, um, C-130H, but set up for U.S. Navy um, comms and so on in the Cold War. Correct. It was an airborne electronics warfare uh, aircraft. Um, it had antennas all over it. Each engine, in addition to the 40 kVA generators, had 90 kVA generators on it. Okay. Uh, for all the HF radios, for ultra-long wave radios. They had a five-mile antenna that they would drag along behind. Five-mile antenna. And speak to the uh, submarines. It's about uh, nine kilometers of wire. <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit of drag. <laughs> <laughs> you you definitely remember to wind that in before landing, I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah you'll, you'll, you'll get some negative attention if you uh, forget to do that. 
And another thing, uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, flight engineer, pretty unusual these days, but this 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 generation of Herc, that was the standard process, and you've kept that on, uh, having, having a third guy to keep you drivers in control. Is that the story? That's right. Uh, we can kind of channelize our attention more to the flying portion rather than the machine. Uh, it's really nice having an extra set of eyes to uh, keep an eye on all the different systems in the airplane and, and make sure that nothing uh, nothing's going wrong with the airplane. So, like I say, we can mm -hmm. concentrate fully on, on what we're doing on the ground. Um, some of these older uh, generation airplanes still do have uh, a flight engineer seat. Um, even the DC-10 that's yep. operating yeah. down there, they have a flight engineer. Um, and again, just for, for separation of workload, it comes yep. in real handy. Yeah. So what sort of background did you two come from to end up uh, firebombing? I've been civilian all my life. I grew up in Alaska flying small airplanes and just worked my way up to larger and larger airplanes. I got about 20,000 hours of wow. uh, flight time and wow. fly uh, recreational float planes. And, oh, and I fly a little bit of everything on my time off. And, and uh, I flew jets and flew electors before, which kind of got me into the uh, Herc-style flying, P3, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, been working for another company hauling freight in C-130s for about 12 years oh, okay. and yeah. transitioning into this now. Right, yeah, so um, hauling freight in a, in a civil flight freight in a because I was just saying, is relatively unusual. It does happen, doesn't it? But, it does. Uh, and most people really think of it as a military aeroplane for the most part. We do a lot of work for uh, gold mines and right. oil fields, yeah. roll trucks in the back, take tractors apart, stack them back there and haul them in. Because you can go anywhere, you can get a decent flattish surface. 3,200 feet is as short as we'll land our Herx. Right. That's, that's pretty short. Yeah. And how about you, Rick? Uh, strictly military uh, for the first 20 years. Started branching out, doing some of the stuff that uh, Tim was talking about doing. In fact, our, our paths have, have crossed several times in, in <laughs> different areas of operation. Um, but with the military, uh, back in the U.S., we have four Air National Guard and Reserve units that do firefighting. And I happen to be part of one of those units. So... Uh, I spent about 20 years flying in the MAFS world, uh, which is modular airborne firefighting. So I had just enough background to kind of cross over into the civilian world. Uh, when Colson purchased uh, their their first firefighting airplane, I got just luck of the draw, was ferrying that airplane from Sacramento area down to San Bernardino. And they had their chief pilot, John Coughlin, on board. And I asked him, I said, well, what are you going to do with this airplane when you get it down to uh, San Bernardino? He said, well, we're going to cut a hole in the bottom and put a tank in it and fight fires with it. And I said, well, the, the C-130 civilian guys that had been fighting fires, that was 10 years ago. I said, I think those guys have all moved on. I said, who are you going to get to uh, to fly it? He said, well, we haven't really gotten that far yet. So I slipped in my information. And <laughs> lo and behold, about five, six months later, he gave me a call and said, well, we're ready to start writing the uh, writing the manuals and getting it test flown and certified to uh, go out on contract, and that's how it happened. Terrific. Great. Actually, there's an interesting thing. I don't know. We've kind of touched on it in different ways, but, you know, the Herx are an old design, but, you know, developed and developed and developed, still very current. Firefighting's been around for a while. But this particular combination of the, the tank you've got, the, which is um, better than MAFS, we're, we're, we're standing in your aeroplane, so it's definitely better than MAFS. Uh, MAFS is a much older system with a kind of sticking pipes out the back or laterally pipes out of the door, and um, this is dropping down the centre line of the aeroplane and, and through through the floor, which is much more, I understand, the way that you, you want to be dropping. Um, so you've got a very, very current, modern approach to the firefighting. State of the art would be one way you might talk about it. 
Uh, yeah, we can talk a little bit about the tanking of it. Mm, um, please. Gravity is is definitely the preferred method. You know, right. there are there's pressurized systems out there, but they tend to be heavy, complicated, and uh, you know they break a lot. Yeah. Um, gravity has never been known to fail. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in aviation, it always wins in the That's end. That's right. In the end, it always does win. Yeah. Um, so yeah, with the with the smart doors that we've got on this, I think Tim touched on it earlier about the uh, the constant flow. Uh, concept. We've also got inputs uh, on this to compensate for ground speed. Uh -huh. So if the if the user on the ground is expecting a coverage level four for the entire length, but I have a tailwind of 10 or 15 knots, uh, it would tend to kind of lighten the, uh, the, the coverage out. We can select ground speed right. um, compensation. So if it senses me going 20 knots fast, yep. it's going to open the doors up a little bit more. Conversely, right. if I have a headwind and it knows that I'm only doing 90 knots across the ground, it's going to it's going to tighten those doors up a little bit more to, to give them what they're requiring on yep. the ground. So it's actually another thing you guys don't have to think about when you're doing the drop. You have to have it all set up and then it's computers do what they're supposed to do. Until they figure out how to get, get complete rid of me, I'm okay with all of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're happy to have you guys doing it, because I think one of the things I'd say, and I don't know, you, you tell me, but you've got a lot of variety of experience here, uh, water bombing, uh, firefighting is still a very, um, it requires an understanding of each, and every case is different, each and every case, so there's practice and there's process, and you have all the plans, and you fly to the plan, but you go out there, you don't know quite what you're going to get, it's every case, is that true, is it? Every fire is a little different. Yeah. yeah. When they when they standardize fires, then they can standardize the <laughs> the training. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, everything is is fluid. Um, it's kind of like a big pickup game. Yeah. Once you get airborne, the plan could be to go to a certain fire, but when you check in with dispatch and they say we've got a priority fire, yeah. Somebody's going to be heads down jamming in the new coordinates, and we're off to a different place. Yeah. Could yeah. happen. Um, and what, what's just run us uh, quickly through an ideal attack, obviously. So you, you get the call, you sprint to the aeroplane just like those Battle of Britain pilots with your parachutes. So, no, how does it really work? <laughs> <laughs> Normally we'll get a heads up. Yeah. Uh, you know, they'll say, hey, there's a fire uh, that's requesting assistance and, and we'll look on a paper chart and get an idea of direction and, and the landscape of where we're going. Um, when things start getting serious, they'll hook the hoses up, and that still gives us a 10, 12-minute yep. uh, head start. Yep. So as soon as they hook the hoses up, we'll get the APU running, get power on all the uh, navigation systems, and one or both of us will be up here hand jamming in all of the uh, coordinates and double-check it with the paperwork, make yep. sure that the, the radial and distance match with what they gave us. Um, we'll get radio frequencies for ground uh, contact, and then an airborne frequency for the uh, air attack supervisor, who yeah, should yeah. hopefully be there before we show up. Yeah. Um, taxi out and takeoff are, are fairly standard. Yep. Um, then once we get clear of the airport area, um, we check in with our uh, air desk, state yep. air desk, or 
um, whether they got state ops state in New ops. South Wales or yeah. state air desk in Victoria. You, you notice that it, one of the key rules in Australia is that whatever state A does, state B has to do it differently with different oh, yeah. letters in a different order. We have two different radios here, one for New South Wales and one for Victoria. Yeah, the Victoria hey. one's obviously better, even though we're in New South Wales. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Victoria. We're not, not at all small-minded about any of this. <laughs> yeah, okay, moving on from that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so then as we get closer and closer to the fire, we'll give them a five-minute out call. Yeah. And... Uh, if everything's going well, the air attack supervisor will, will have our run all lined out and ready so that we're not wasting precious time over the fire trying to figure out what we're doing. Yeah. Um, so they'll give us a quick show me, show us where they want us to start, where they want us to end. Yeah. Uh, hopefully have the line all clear of yeah. ground personnel. Uh, we get into our pre-sodown, sodown checklist, get the tank armed, double check everything before we go into the low level environment. And then, uh, do you put flap out? Or? We do, 100 yeah. flap, uh, gear up, and then we have all kinds of silencing uh, buttons that we have to um, right. hit because, our, yeah. of course, our ground prox is going to be going crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's thinking yeah. that we're trying to kill it. Yeah. Um, the gear warning is going off all the time <laughs> because you got your gear up and you're pulling the throttles back, so horns want to be going off so we can silence all that so that we don't have to. Uh, yeah. talk you want a over button it. that says, actually, we're approaching a fire, we would not want to land here anyway. It doesn't does it? work that <laughs> way. Work that In way, the real it? world, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, There's a yeah. bunch of switches we got to yeah. push and throw to make make the bells and whistles go away. So I can and see having a, having a flight engineer in, in that kind of environment that's is, as his job. Say, you yeah, have to keep it, to kind of keep things quiet. And of course the FAA and CASA are very reticent to, to allow all these safety systems to be overridden. Yeah. But yeah. in this environment it is a it's a huge burden to be listening yeah. to your TCAS. Yeah, okay, so here yeah. we are flying in close proximity to other aircraft, yeah. uh, helicopters yeah. and close to the ground and it can get a little hectic. Where you're meant to be, but uh, as you say, and you end up with what is effectively, I like to call anti-safety safety systems, because they're actually distracting you, and so you knock those back, as, as, you, as you're just saying, and then, um, then what happens? You head in for the fire? Yeah, we basically get into what could be described as a, like a, just a regular traffic pattern for an airport. You know, we get on a downwind, we turn crosswind, we turn final, and of course we, we try and stay above uh, our actual drop altitude yeah. until we get on short final, and then yeah. we just descend Nice so you use a normal so. pattern type terminology for the fire? Correct. Okay, yeah. But the aeroplane's listening to you. It's talking about, you're talking about short final. It goes, once wheels, once wheels. <laughs> yes, exactly. And there's no airport there. <laughs> so it's right. telling you the terrain, terrain. <laughs> yep. And so that's it. Yeah, and then as, uh, as the tank empties out, slowly advance power and get climbing away from the ground. Uh, of course, now we're, you know, 12,000 kilos less weight. Yeah. So it makes the, uh, the escape really easy um, where you end up with problems is let's say on short final as you're slow and yeah. getting lower yeah. all of a sudden they call off the drop ah. so now, now we're, fat now we're heavy and trying to gain altitude airspeed and everything all at once and generally around here um, you don't have the the terrain relief yeah. In the States, normally, you're, right. you're in heavy mountains, and everybody yeah. thinks, you know, if you're in the mountains, that's yeah. more dangerous. Up. But actually, what well, you're looking actually, at... you're dropping downhill, so you yeah. have all that time and, and uh, terrain relief to, to use yeah. to gain your airspeed back. Flatland drops can be pretty tricky in that aspect. Yeah. Actually, that was my next question. Uh, yes. Um, so, so just before we go on to that... Do you do you go up a bit like a lift when you're dropping? Or do you notice that? Is there, or you do you hold the altitude okay? Obviously, when you're in the drop, you want to be at the same height. Don't yeah, you? and it does tend to want to, to float so a little up, bit. Yeah. But again, we're we're usually power back. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, oh, okay, and just yeah. a little bit of forward stick pressure um, yeah. keeps us level throughout the whole thing. Um, in Indonesia, it was again flat land drops, and uh, 
low uh, altitudes, you know, down around sea level. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we had that going for us. And actually, that's uh, my next question, which you've almost uh, completely answered, I think, is so how is Australia different? We're very conscious in Australia, and this is for the Kiwi listeners, we're flat. We have things that we call mountains that you guys call hills, and the same goes for North Americans. My wife's Canadian, she has to go back to Canada to see proper pointy places because we don't have any of those. We've worn them all down. Um, <laughs> so you're pretty much always on the flat, aren't you, here? And, and what you've just said about that plot. What else is different about Australia? Not much that I can, I mean, the mountains are a little less extreme, but, um, and we haven't really dropped in the mountains no. much here. We did that one run over by uh, Avalon, Yeah. and um, there were some hills there that were uh, yeah. a little bit in the way, but. Yeah. Um, People talk funny? You noticed any strange accents? The, the little, lats and longs are south and east instead yeah. of north and west. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. The yeah. sun moves a slightly different way. Yeah, and, the sun's north yeah, here instead yeah, of south. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting. I mean, do you feel as, as experienced uh, pilots in this kind of role, it's a very similar job worldwide? I mean, the, the paperwork changes, the radios change, but what you're doing is... Yeah, the, the comms same. are the biggest thing. Right. Know. Fire is fire. Um, and, and the tactics for dealing with it, as long as we're dropping retardant, are the same. Once you move into the gels and the foams and your more direct attack, yeah. that gets a little bit different for us in that where we're flying closer to the actual smoke and flame. Right. When yeah. you're dealing with retardant, you're usually off the line. Yeah. Um, the closest you'd want to get is maybe a 50-50 drop where you're half yep. in, half out. Right. Um, but yeah, when you're dealing with uh, um, the foams and the gels and the water, yeah. direct attack. Um, I've always wanted to fly with you guys, which I generally understand is not a mode. And now I'm, now I'm sort of thinking, you guys get pretty bumpy when you're doing all of this stuff, low level, and there's hot patches and cold patches. And um, yeah, you're strapped in tight. We are, and uh, yeah, you can uh, experience some extreme turbulence, um, but around here, because the terrain is is, yeah. is a little bit lower, and you don't have the uh, the big 10,000 foot mountains yeah. hanging yeah. around, it, it does You can help. get mountains up to 10,000 feet? We never heard about that. There's <laughs> <laughs> foothills at home. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> they exist. And, you know, usually the tree lines are up around, what, eight 9,000 in North yeah. America? So, yeah, the, the highest we would be is around 10,000. And, of course, that plays into the, uh, the performance of the airplane as well as you get high like that. So. Well, one uh, really important question is, which is your favorite film? Is it always or is it Airplanes 2? <laughs> <laughs> airplanes 2. <laughs> I have seen Always and I find it very entertaining. And it's a very touching love story. However, the firebombing aspect of it is... About as accurate as most war movies. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you mean the cartoon got it better? Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah. That's neat. Um, I think that have you got any other questions there, Dave? No, only is it always as bloody hot in this cockpit. I mean, gosh. <laughs> no, this is just warm. Oh, it's early. It's, it's early it's in the nothing. day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Kiwi here. Yeah. Uh, Hundred and twenty-six degrees on a hot day in here. Yeah. Wow. So you want to get it up and air get conditioning going. on as quick as you possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. in Fahrenheit. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. right. yeah. yeah. otherwise, yeah. you know, it's melting, wouldn't you? <laughs> I am from the States. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And and, uh, and that's great. I, I have a little little sad joke that I like to share. And you mentioned it earlier, which I think aviation was great all the way up until I started putting N, uh, radios and aeroplanes, and it all went bad. <laughs> it's uh, The system here, though, has been really good for us. I mean, has it? I mean, we when we're going to that Avalon fire, uh, we essentially were, were IFR, we're in the IF, in your IFR yeah, yeah, world. Yeah. I mean, it was VFR, but at altitudes it requires to be a IFR, and we were in a hurry, so yep. I 
when I filed my flight plan, I, I told him, I said, I want to do what uh, uh, Bird Dog 376 is doing, and that was it. And then yep. it was just radio calls from there. Right. I mean, yeah. we, when we got off the fire, he said, before you come above 4,500 feet, give us a call, make sure you check in with us. We did that, and then we went back. We can't go... Uh, can't pressurize with the product on board right so we're you know 12 five or lower usually yeah. around 10 for our breathing yeah. and then on the way back we're 210 230 right. you know so yeah. we can be efficient yeah. and go yeah. faster so that's a good point it's and it really really yeah. seamless you know with yeah. their air traffic control just oh that's good to hear because um when we had railways here in new south wales and victoria you, you we actually had different gauge a rail so you had to change trains this is true go and look it up <laughs> you had to change trains in the victorian new south Wales. we we even talked the same kind of english down here but we couldn't get the trains together so yeah we uh, were slightly embarrassed by those things but gentlemen <laughs> i hope i've made ricky's day he's normally got the good stories but uh, i think i might have beat him with that one uh, that one was tough to beat <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'd love to say thank you very much timothy and ricky it's yeah. great to have a chat here and we now to take dave out before he melts yeah thank you very much Thanks. our pleasure that was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.